Hello, hello, welcome back to The Close-Up. My name is Brett, and I'm going to be talking about some of my favorite movies today. Basically, I did this last year when I really kind of first started the podcast. I gave my top 10 films, and I believe they were, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, Parasite, um, you know, I think Smurfs Lost Village is up there, uh, the How the Grinch Stole Christmas, uh, you know, Extraction, you know, films in The Rise of Skywalker, you know, films I liked, but, you know, on further reflection and, you know, or even watching other movies as well, that list has changed, you know, so the list has changed. There's some movies that are still on there, but yet the list has changed drastically from a year ago. And um, I just want to talk about my updated top 10 films and who knows this list may be different even next year so i think i'm gonna do this every december at the every end of the year i'm gonna give an updated list on top 10 films maybe <laughs> but i just thought it'd be kind of cool to compare and contrast really my last year's top 10 to this year's now of course um wow uh you know i've you know i'll get to it as i get to in this list but yeah so here we go uh, give me a second. I uh, had this. Yeah, so I have a list on IMDb saying my current top 10 films. And I have it ranked in order. And Paolo like it. And I'm just looking at it because I did this maybe a couple weeks ago, maybe a week ago. So I'm just making sure because, you know, I'm very sporadic. Um, I may switch around that, but we'll get to it when I get to it. Okay, so here we go. So at number 10, we have The Little Mermaid, the Disney classic from 1989, the anime film that really made me obsessed with the character. Uh, you know, this was the first film that I was, I was obsessed with as a kid. And still, I love watching this movie. I remember watching it over the summer, and I just I had it on at the night, at night, just kind of before I went to bed. And I just love this movie. I'm excited for the live-action debut of Ariel. I'm excited for Halle Bailey. She's going to be phenomenal. I know it. But I'm I want the soundtrack release. I would love to hear her voice as Ariel, uh, Halle Bailey. Like my favorite song by them is from a from a Disney uh, film uh, called A Wrinkle in Time. But um, it's Warrior, and that that one's good. I really do like that song. But yeah, Little Mermaid still really in my top ten. I'm I don't think I think this film will always have a special place in my heart. Just, it's just the first film I became obsessed with. So, yeah. Number nine is Little Women. Now, this film I watched over the summer, I believe. And wow. <laughs> wow, I missed on something big here in 2019. I remember my mom and aunts went to go see it. Um, and I think my dad and uncles went to go see a different movie. But, um... I don't remember what they saw, but they saw a little woman. And I wish I went to go see it with my mom and my aunts because, Lord, this is my favorite Susha Ronan movie. Yeah, oh my gosh. I've always been a fan of Susha Ronan. My first film seeing of her was City of Ember, and I loved her acting so much in that. And I've always been a kind of dedicated follower of her. So to see a film where I really just love the character she played and her, just the acting, and she got nominated for an Oscar for it. I, I, I was very proud of her in this movie and i do plan to watch it again this christmas i haven't yet i've been kind of waiting for a good moment to watch it um so i don't know if i want to wait closer to christmas or 
kind of do it sometime this week. May lean toward it may be closer to sooner rather than later. <laughs> but yeah, I love this movie. I love the meshes for family. I love how it plays with time. Uh, you know, the flashbacks are more warm, more, more like very warm and comforting. And the present day is kind of more cold and alone. Like I like, you know, just the way the temperatures of the movie look, I think that's beautiful. Um, and I love the ending. I, at first when I watched this movie, I did not really, I was like, Ooh, she didn't end up with a guy. But then on further reflection and researching more about Little Women, uh, you know, originally the author wanted Joe to end up alone, but they told her no. Like we saw in the movie, she had to get married, you know. And I like how the movie honors that in a way, but yet also goes its own route, you know. And I, I, it honors what the author wanted all along. And I think it's so much a stronger, like the – the 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 you know the kiss moment the romantic moment you know her holding her own book in her hands is a reward for her she's not chasing a man she's chasing her story and to see her hold that book and its accomplishment is more than any kiss it is very it's very it means everything to her and into the audience you feel for her so it's just beautiful <laughs> Number eight is, excuse me, 1917. This movie. Now, I remember seeing trailers for it, and I was, I was like a little flabbergasted. I'm like, how is this film nominated for Academy Awards and stuff, and it's not even been released yet? Of course, critics. But, I mean, I was like, the public has not even seen this movie, and it's already nominated for Best Picture. Like, I was just like, what the heck? And, of course, watching the movie – you clearly see why it's nominated for Best Picture. Uh, it's nominated for so many awards, but I, I love this movie. I, you know, surprisingly, I mean, this is the first one. Well, it's not really the first, but this is kind of the first recognizable film where I saw George Bakai. And I liked him in this movie, but I wasn't a fan. And I'm going to get to the movie that made me a fan, me, me a fan of George Bakai. But I have not rewatched this film yet. But I do have I, – I watched it on Hulu, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I love this movie so much. I, um, I went to Walmart and bought it on Blu-ray. Like, I went to Walmart and bought it on Blu-ray. I, I was like, I got to get this movie now because it's just that beautiful. Um, so, yeah, I do have a copy of it. Uh, honestly, I can't wait to rewatch it. This film is so be- – I love that everything on it is a one-shot. You really feel like you travel along with the characters. And one thing I discovered – about movies you know i'm more liking i mean i like all types of movies but i mean i'm more i'm more prone to like a film if it takes place in one day or like how 1917 1917 did like when the film starts and ends it's the exact amount of time that the audience sat through in a way so i mean it's just it you know i just i like films that take place in a short period of time versus a lot of period of time see little women it took over, like, it was flashbacks and presents, you know, present day. So it took, a, it took a big chunk of time here. You know, we've seen girls get married. Girls get started to do jobs as kids. You know, so, I mean, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of exposition, a lot of big time we got to see these characters grow in. And that film I love. In 1917, it's a short time period where we literally only see these characters on screen for, like, maybe a day or two you know we don't get to see their whole life we just see this small moment of time that's depicted on screen 
And I've discovered that I like that more in a weird way because I think you just feel more with the characters. Uh, there's also another film called Silent Night that just came out. Um, it's not on this list, but it also takes place in a short period of time. So does Spencer. And I really did enjoy those films because you just really felt connected with those characters versus a film like Karen Knightley's The Duchess. It's a good movie, but it takes place so it has a big chunk of time that it's being told in the movie. So it just jumps so much. But I'd rather see like a focused area of her life. And I like how Spencer and Silent Night did those two things. Even 1917, I really like how they just focus on one area. But, you know, versus the Duchess that had a big chunk of time that we could see her whole entire life in a course of two hours, which it felt jumbled. So I don't know. It works. But I really discovered I really like these short time period tellings. Um, it just it works better for me. <laughs> I find it more interesting, you know, I just feel more attached, which is very interesting. Um, so yeah, very relatable too. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's 1917. Number seven is Ophelia. Now this was the film that made me a George McCoy fan. <laughs> uh, and it made me appreciate him more in 1917 as well. Uh, clearly 1917 is his best movie. But Ophelia is so good. So basically, Ophelia is like Ham. It's Ham. It's the Shakespeare play Hamlet, but told through Ophelia's eyes. And of course, Daisy Ridley plays Ophelia. Now, I've, I'm okay with Daisy, Daisy Ridley. Like she's Ray in Star Wars. Um, I really do like Ray, but she's not like nothing about her screams. She's the best. You know. I mean, I think everything in Ray, like you know. This is how I kind of view it. Like, she basically understands everything. So there's not really much for her to struggle with. I think really what she struggles with is her identity. Uh, you know, she wants her parents to come back, you know, but that's never going to happen. Um, but yeah, she really struggles with her identity. But that's it. She doesn't struggle with anything else. Um, she's very self-assured, which is a good quality. But yet there's nothing for her to struggle with as a Jedi or nothing that challenges her. She always rises to the occasion. But Ophelia, it was nice to see her play a character that has these challenges and to see her play a character that has flaws um, and to see her come about it naturally versus then forced like in Star Wars. So this made me a this was a better film for Daisy Ridley. Uh, she was great as Ophelia. Uh, George Mackay was wonderful in it too they have george mckay and daisy really have wonderful chemistry they're they're just great uh the soundtrack is beautiful i love how it incorporates uh lyrics or not lyrics but uh lines from the hamlet play in the soundtrack i think that's so beautiful and makes the film so works so much better oh my gosh i love this the cinematography is mind-blowing the acting is beautiful the score is so emotional it's just it's great i i love the movie and when i first saw it i couldn't stop thinking about feeling i went and bought hamlet and then i watched hamlet <laughs> but i bought i bought hamlet the play and then i watched the 1940s movie hamlet not as good but i love the story of feeling i like the what if story and i never read i never read hamlet i never knew the story of hamlet i knew what it was based i knew what it kind of was about but man, when I watched it feel like kind of like cold turkey, 
wow, I was mesmerized. I was mesmerized. Mm -hmm. Really was. Uh, so yeah, that's Ophelia. Number six is da -da -da -da, Atonement. Um, Atonement is a conflicting film for me, but it is in my top ten because a film that makes you think really deserves to be on your list. It really does. So Atonement, you know, when I first watched it, I did not like it because I thought, oh man, this is this is so bitter. Uh, they're really angry. There's no forgiveness. What is this? It's not a love story. It's just bitter. And it is better, but they have an extreme right to be. On my second rewatch, I felt more for Kira Knightley and James McAvoy. McAvoy. <laughs> James McAvoy's characters. You know, I, I felt more for them than I did for Sisha Rodin's. Who is she? Watching her again, I, I was like, man, I can clearly see why she got nominated for an Oscar. I can clearly see why. And I, I love the story. I love... It, it it it's a sad story. I, um, my friend called it a great film, but it's an extra shot of depresso. And I'm like, yeah, you really do feel. And I think it's important. Like I said, it's important to feel conflicted with this movie because you feel bad, but yet you love the cinematography. Joe Wright. This is the best Joe Wright film, in my opinion. It's just. His cinematography for the opening, like for the first act of the movie, mind-blowing. I mean, the cinematography throughout is mind-blowing, but like I love the house, like the location of the mansion. It, it's just, ugh. like Jay, like Joe Wright, stop. <laughs> just get the Oscar. I don't think he won the Oscar for Best Director, but he deserved it. Um, I would do wish this film... You know, 2007 was a great year for movies, you know. It was a great year. I still want to watch more of them. Uh, you know, in 2019, what a great year for movies. I, I'm still not over 2019. I still want to go watch 2019 movies. I still want to watch 2007 movies. It's just crazy, those two years. And both those two years have some of my favorite. They're, they're my top two, and you probably already know what it is. <laughs> But Atonement, yeah, it's it's a conflicting movie because I did not like it at first. But on rewatch, I loved it. And I appreciate it. And I, it's honestly the best, like, outside, like, it's honestly one of my favorite Karen Alley performances ever. Because her playing Cecilia Talis as this dark, kind of stuck-up woman... It's, it's just so different than Elizabeth Swan or Elizabeth Bennett. And, you know, it's just so different, and I love it. So, yeah, that's Atonement. Number five, The Empire Strikes Back. Now, a year ago, this was not even on the list. It was The Rise of Skywalker. But I'm rewatching the Star Wars films, and I remember watching it last year, and I was just so impressed with The Empire Strikes Back. Like, it gave me chills. It was that impressive. And for a movie to do that, even though I already knew, like, the plot twist and everything of Vader being Luke's father, I still had chills. And the fight scene between Luke and Vader is one of the best fight scenes in the Star Wars franchise. Like, it's just, it, it's beautiful to look at. Um, uh, you know, I was always kind of more kind of like, eh, you know, Luke's kind of the main star. But I always like stories that kind of like when you have a trio, I like it when the trio each has something to say, 
you know, and watching the Empire Strikes Back, I was scared that Han and Leia were sidelined. But then they actually had well-crafted stories that I overlooked. And Han, you know, Han and Leia's story is so beautiful. And yes, it it could be a B storyline, but I honestly viewed it as very well done. And the only reason why The Empire Strikes Back is not boring to watch at some points, like how some of the sequel trilogy is, is because of the actors. And that is really well done to have a film that's done that impressive. Uh, no shade to the actors of the sequel trilogy, but I think there was issues you know, there's issues, you know, we got to admit there's issues for the sequel trilogy. But yeah, the Empire Strikes Back, you can't beat the classic. You cannot. I mean, I know you just can't. I mean, I just love that movie. I, you know, it just made me realize this is Star Wars, you know, <laughs> um, at its finest. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to switch these two just for now. Um, but number four is Titanic. My gosh. I watched this on my birthday this year. Fun fact, I was born in 1997, the same year Titanic was released. So on my birthday this year, I wanted to watch Titanic because it came on my birth year. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. And also I have like a little birth fun fact thing and it says Titanic was the number one movie that year. So I'm like, you know what? I got to watch the number one movie of my birth year. So I did, and oh my, I've never seen it before, and I kind of rewatched it for Leonardo DiCaprio, he's becoming, he's one of my favorite actors now, but um, yeah, Titanic made me cry, and I've seen it before, and I think a film, I love the review for it, saying, you know you've seen art if you, if you, you know you've seen art when you cry, and I cried. Like the film is so beautiful. It's I, I thought about it the other day. Just I thought about rewatching it again because it's on Netflix now. Uh, I thought about rewatching it and I just felt so depressed. It's like atonement. Like it's like it's a it's a great movie. It's a fantastic movie. It's one of the most successful movies ever made. And I thought about rewatching it and I felt very conflicted. Like I was I don't know if I want to cry today. Um, but yeah, it's such a well done movie. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, wonderful actors. They really carry that movie. And I just, it's beautiful. Um, one day where we watch it and the soundtrack, the score, the song, my heart will go on. Like when I was working as a receptionist, they would play that song sometimes. Not like the Celine Dion. It was like the background music of it. I'm like, oh, oh got to keep a straight face at work. <laughs> but I mean, it was just, it, it was like, oh my gosh. It was incredible. So yeah, in Titanic, I do plan to rewatch this movie, but man, it's going to be, it's going to take some time because I don't know if I want to cry. <laughs> I may save it for Valentine's Day because it's such a beautiful love story. But it's a depressing love story. I don't know. Maybe I'll watch it at the start of the year. Start the year off right with Titanic. <laughs> anyway but yeah it's a beautiful movie very beautiful <laughs> um number three is the dark knight now i did i have tried to watch the dark knight multiple times in the past and when i first got it on dvd i i was not a huge batman fan 
So I just put it in and kind of mindlessly watched it and really didn't pay attention to it. And I just didn't really think anything of it. I just thought it was boring. And keep in mind, this is when I was like 12 or 13, 14. I just, I, I was just bored with it. So then I tried to watch it again years later. And I've watched Batman Begins first. And I really like Batman Begins. I'm like, oh my gosh, like Batman Begins is okay. Let's go. The Dark Knight. And I knew The Dark Knight is one of the most highly regarded films of cinema. You know, I know, I know it is. Um, so I tried to watch it. I think I tried to watch it last year. And I think I still kind of mindlessly watched it. Um, I don't know if I was just busy at the time. I must have been doing something and I just didn't get it or I just wasn't paying attention to it. And I just didn't really care for it. And I was shocked because when I watched it this year, like I, I wanted to watch it for sure this year because I didn't want to go into Robert Pattinson's The Batman without knowledge of The Dark Knight, you know. And also on my birthday this year, I'm going to go see the Tim Burton's Batman movie in theaters. It was part of uh, Flashback Cinema in my local theater. And it came out on my birthday. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go see the original Batman in theaters. And it was fun, but they were talking about how this film, how Tim Burton's Batman inspired The Dark Knight. Like, we would not have The Dark Knight if it wasn't for this movie. Um, and it was a good cinema experience. I almost fell asleep in the theater because I think I was just tired. But um, it, it, I do remember being, being wowed. Uh, Jack Nicholson as the Joker was really well done. And... Um, then it came to Random as the Holidays, and I was like, you know what? I gotta watch it. I gotta watch the Dark Knight trilogy. I just gotta go through it. So I watched Batman Begins again. I just watched that, and I still liked it. But I'm like, eh, yeah, whatever. I've seen it before. And then I went to the Dark Knight, and oh my gosh, this movie! Like, remember me talking about chills with Star Wars? I had chills with this. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, Heath Ledger is like the best performance of this movie. And he overshadows Batman. Um, Christian Bale, I think Christian Bale comes across as kind of monotone a little bit. But Heath Ledger, he truly gave the winning Oscar performance. And it's a mockery. It's a shame. I'm ashamed that I've never saw this movie appropriately but watching it for the first time appropriately i was like oh my gosh sign me up for the heath ledger fan club like uh it makes me sad as well but i just i couldn't get over it i could not get over it. i've seen joker and i really liked joaquin phoenix's performances of the joker for sure but heath ledger he scared me he he scared me and wow he actually scared me i i mm. Like, in a good way, scared. I was like, oh my gosh, he's scaring me. Oh my gosh. But he scared me. And I, mm, it's a wonderful performance. The score, what a score. You know, I just Hans Zimmer. Just Hans Zimmer. You probably have enough money to retire. Like, good grief. Jeez. Like, <laughs> this film was gorgeous. Like, beautiful i just i love the sense of terror it gives me and i love how the score goes hand in hand with the characters and that's always a hans zimmer well done job but i mean i just i couldn't get over him scaring me 
I could not get over it. It's what I want to see on screen. <laughs> to be terrified. Or, you know, just to feel something. You want to get a reaction out of your audience. Man, that was amazing. Jeez. Okay, let's move on to number two and number one. So these are the same two spots as last year. Number two is Parasite. Still, this movie, I watched it on my college's campus for part of their uh, cinema series. And um, to view this film with an audience right before COVID, oh, how incredibly lucky. This was. This is probably one of my favorite audience reactions to a movie ever made. Ever. I just, I, I mean, the audience reaction empowered that movie. It empowered it. I love Parasite. Uh, I haven't seen it in a little while, but I, when I think about it, I'm like, mm, that film was art at its finest. I remember I did not like the ending, but when I watched it again, I was like, oh man, this movie's a masterpiece. It, it's an incredible piece of cinema. And I'm really, I freaked out when it won Best Picture. I freaked out. So the fact that this movie, the fact that this film, I got to see it with the audience of a great, of a wonderful, terrific reaction and have such a strong liking towards it, even still to this day, the score is phenomenal. Maybe a Bon Joon-ho fan. It was just, it was incredible. Man, Parasite, what a masterpiece. Wow. And a, such a powerful message about class. Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. And number one on this list is still Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. This film, I don't think, <coughs> excuse me, I don't think anything can top it. Um, it may not be the film that has the most meaning. It may not be the film that has the most best cinematography. But this film's score, its characters, its story, its visual effects, oh my gosh, it's just all over the place. And I love the crap out of it. It's just Hans Zimmer once again, the score once again touches the hearts of audiences. And you feel along with the characters. This is the most darkest one of the parts of the Caribbean trilogy. The characters go to higher lengths than ever before. And the final battle sequence. What a battle. I don't, I don't think there's a better battle in cinema. I really don't. I think this battle that came out in 2007, and it still holds up so well today. Impressive. It's impressive. Oh my gosh. I just remember... I don't think anything can top it because Johnny Depp, Orlando Bloom, and Keira Knightley were my favorite childhood actors. And Keira Knightley still today is my still one of my favorites of all time. And I think to have those three in a movie, like in the same movie, fighting an epic battle and having a fint, oh my gosh, a mind-blowing climax... I don't think you're going to ever ask for anything more. I love how the film concludes, though. I love how the film concludes, and this is kind of a little spoiler alert, um, with Jack, Will, and Elizabeth 
going off in separate directions. Jack sailing off the same way we saw him in cinema, which is a very perfect way to end the character. Like in the first film, he arrives to Port Royal on a dinghy, and in the, in the world's end, the supposed to be last film, he's sailing away on a dinghy. This is incredible. This is incredible stuff. Will, he, in the first film, he is, you know, Will and Elizabeth in the first film, you know, they're not together. He's had the crush on her. She's trying to get him to make a move, and he's not doing anything. In this film, at World's End, they're apart yet again. It's just it's so wonderful to see the three the three trio be the exactly same place as the first film starts, and I think that's amazing. Jack sailing the seas on the dinghy will. Well, Will didn't do this, but Will doing a job and Elizabeth just waiting for Will. Like, it's just, it's just wow. But I just, I would love to talk, just the transformation of Elizabeth, of Elizabeth Swan. I just got to get the last minute dedicated to this. Elizabeth Swan is my favorite film character ever created. Uh, you know, she beat Jack Sparrow for me. I was, I was a huge Elizabeth Swan fan growing up. And... To see her go from a proper lady, English English governor's daughter, to a pirate king leading a war, that's all that she ever dreamed of. And I just, I can't get over it. Oh my gosh. And I, I, I just don't think that film will ever be talked by anything. I just think it was just it's such a big moment in my life. And to witness it at nine years old, oh, Wow. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive back then. It's just it was just it was just such a magical time. So yeah. But yeah, those are my top 10 films. Um, like I said, I don't think anything's gonna replace Pirates of the Caribbean, but oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't think anything will. But that's it for this one, and I will see you guys in the next one.